Welcome to An Economist Goes to College, a podcast about the economics of picking and paying for college. I'm your host, Beth Akers, economist and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Today, I have Justin Drager on the show. Justin is the president of the National Association of Student Financial Aid Administrators, a membership organization that consists of more than 28,000 student financial aid professionals across the nation. I have a ton of respect for this group. I've always found financial aid professionals to be incredibly well-informed and more generally concerned about student well-being than just about anyone else working in this space. So I'm excited to have Justin on today to ably represent that point of view. In this episode, we're going to talk about the now-fraught Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program, or PSLF, to those of you who live or work in the D.C. bubble. We'll discuss why the program exists, how it's working, and what, if anything, should be done about it. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Great. Okay, so today we're talking about public service loan forgiveness. You and I and everyone in our bubble knows what that is, but let's start really basic. Tell me, what is public service loan forgiveness and why does it exist? Yeah, at its core, it's a pretty simple concept. The concept is that we have public servants who are sometimes underappreciated until there's like a pandemic, but underappreciated, often underpaid. And so the government provides a subsidy to help them afford college. It's just the subsidies on the back end. So it forgives student loan debt basically after 10 years of public service. That's it at at a basic level. Okay. Get a little bit deeper for us. So how does this work? (laughs) If I'm somebody who's eligible for public service loan forgiveness, what does that mean for me? Yeah. So I think most people, borrowers are thinking, I am going to be a public servant. I want to give back. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a firefighter, a police officer, a nurse, a doctor. And so they have to take on loan debt to afford their college educations, get the training they need to do these jobs effectively, get hired. And then after 10 years, they would understandably believe that they're going to receive loan forgiveness. Unfortunately, and you talked about financial aid professionals at the beginning, you know, aid administrators live at the nexus of policy ideas and implementation. And you can find aid administrators on both sides of that line, those who love to talk policy and those who love to talk implementation. But this whole program is a good example of where good ideas cannot be implemented or Ah, haven't been implemented effectively. Okay, tell us more on that, Justin. That sounds juicy. What's going on? <laughs> if the non-experts who are listening to this have heard about public service loan forgiveness in the past few months, it is probably because they've read a major newspaper story about how public service loan forgiveness is failing miserably and yeah. everyone hates the program. So <laughs> tell us more about that. Well, okay, so it's a good idea. Let's assume you think it's a good idea, but but you you're an economist. You have lots of other economists that have been on this this, this program. I've I've listened to you all. You, you have fascinating points. I think one of the questions would be like upfront, just from a, a basic level. If I accept the fact that public servants are sometimes underpaid or you know generally underpaid, undervalued, and we're going to provide them a subsidy, maybe the question would be, well, why don't we just pay them more? If they are valued, shouldn't we pay them more? Even if that's a direct subsidy to the public servants, like why are we doing a reverse engineering through loans. I mean, I think that's a basic question that probably should have been asked when the program was created in 2007. I like that question, Justin. So what's the answer? Why are we doing this convoluted system in which we subsidize public service through a student loan repayment program that's already too complex rather than just paying people more? 
Well, you invited me on, and, and I'm not a, a PhD economist here. I, I'm a political animal to some extent at my core. We welcome political animals on this show. Okay. Well, there's a lot, there's a political rabbit hole we can jump down <laughs> in this context because at the time, politically, what was going on was this debate between whether the government should provide loans directly to students or whether we should do it through subsidies to banks. For 40 years, we had done it through banks, and then we had this new program that was just sort of getting its legs. And then you combine that with a financial crisis that required a lot of schools to then go to, to the direct lending model, which is direct from the federal government. And then we had sort of this program that was created that sounded really great, scored a lot of good political points. Maybe I, I don't want to question motives. Maybe it really was about helping these student borrowers who are going into public service too. But it also had this budget impact that was trying to get more borrowers to go into the direct lending program. Like you can only qualify for this program if you consolidate your loans into a very specific type of direct government loan. So all of that combined leads us to this program with maybe had really good intent, but was nearly impossible to implement. And Beth, I'll share one juicy tidbit, which is in 2016, this is nine years since the inception of the program in 2007, Federal Student Aid Conference, we're talking six, 7,000 financial aid administrators and economists and folks get together and we all talk about financial aid. And at that time, the Department of Education had a breakout session. So this was not even a general session, just a breakout session on public service loan forgiveness. And in this session, it is revealed that we are nine years in and we can count how many payments borrowers would have had to have made over that nine years to, to qualify for public service loan forgiveness the next year. The first cohort of these borrowers who would receive the award of having done 10 years of public service. And at that time, the department revealed that they had zero borrowers oh boy. on track for public service loan forgiveness. And so it was in 2016, we first started waving giant red flags to the department saying, we are very concerned that in our first cohort, we have zero borrowers on track for forgiveness. Okay. So you're saying we, we basically, we created the program. It takes 10 years to get to the point where you're eligible for forgiveness because you got to make payments for those 10 years through PSLF. And you're saying you got tipped off by the Department of Education that we were approaching the potential for that first cohort to get to their forgiveness. And basically no one had achieved what needed to be achieved to get eligibility. That's right. Yep. Nobody. Zero. That's probably the wrong number. I mean, I'm not sure how what the right number is, but I'm pretty sure zero is the wrong number. Well, today we have 40 million borrowers in repayment. So zero out of 40 million, it ain't great. Now, since 2007, we have had people qualify for public service loan forgiveness, but the denial rate is somewhere north of 98%. So you have, I don't mean 98% of 40 million, but of, of all the people who thought they were going to qualify, the rejection rate is, is north of 98%. I mean, in the private sector, we would call this bait and switch. Okay. So I, this is what we're hearing a lot about in the news with this program. And, you know, the way I see it characterized, which kind of raises my attention a little bit, is, is that it's some sort of conspiracy against students, right? Like this was designed to not actually help them and the government is evil or some business like that. So I have a hard time believing that that's really what's happening. But what is happening? I don't think the motivations were that nobody should qualify. I think the motivations were driven by the politics of some underlying budget assumptions. So we only made this available to students in a very specific loan program that was driven partly by budget considerations on Capitol Hill. 
I think it's a product of mismanagement by long-term mismanagement by the Department of Education that spans multiple administrations. So if you're the president and your administration creates a program and that program is carried out in your term as administration, you have a lot of motivation to make sure it goes well. But a program that's created a long time ago in a separate administration and might not even come to fruition until some future administration, I just don't think the Department of Education was either adequately resourced or paying close enough attention to the program as it progressed. And then the final thing is there is a philosophical issue here between financial aid and what it's supposed to do. Financial aid is broken into two buckets, grants or scholarships, which is free money, and self-help aid. This is like work-study, loans. And what we've done here is created sort of a Frankenstein between those two buckets. And I think that's a good example of like when you try to create these Frankensteins, the implementation is just really ugly for a lot of reasons we can talk about. But I think it's a good example of like good ideas that don't translate, don't have a lot of worth when it comes to public policy. So to kind of categorize what's going wrong, it sounds like a bit of the problem is that the program we designed is not the one that you would design if you were trying to design something that would run smoothly. <laughs> and that was driven in part by budgetary constraints, meaning, okay, if we only make these certain loan repayment programs eligible for public service loan forgiveness, then it's cheaper to implement because there's more people in these other programs and et cetera. And that makes sense from a maybe political and budget perspective, but doesn't actually make sense from even an economics or student welfare perspective. That's the phrase I like a lot, student welfare perspective. That's right. Yeah. And then there's also, you do believe that there's a bit of administrative failure on the part of Department of Education not any sort of conspiracy here, but that they've maybe been under-resourced to, to do what exactly? Where are the failures of the Department of Education on this front? The assumption is that we're going to have borrowers who are going to enter repayment, and then for 10 years, for 120 payments, they are going to track that they were in an eligible job and that they were making the right payment in the right loan program. That's a lot for anybody to do over a 10-year period of time. So even if you got this sort of trifecta correct, it's a pretty tall order. Now you throw in there the fact that the Department of Education didn't have like annual dashboards on PSLF as soon as the program was created, something that we asked for. We're not aware of any massive public outreach. Let me just pause you there, Justin. So that means if I'm a borrower who's in repayment and I'm hoping to get public service loan forgiveness someday, there's no website I can log in and say, okay, you're X percent of the way towards loan forgiveness, right? This is what the department has eventually come around to, but that's only after you know the first cohort of people who should have qualified were denied. Okay, got it. So we have had a bit of progress on that front. That's right. Yeah. I mean, remember for the first several years, like there weren't there wasn't even a process for necessarily for borrowers to check in to make sure that they were in the right job or they worked for an approved employer. There were lawsuits about what is an approved employer. So there was there was a lot of questions that left a lot to be desired. And if you're talking about a product that's supposed to help students or consumers, and it's very opaque, we all know that it's not really a product that's going to help many people because you can't penetrate the darkness to figure out how to navigate you know, any of this bureaucracy. Right. And you know, I've heard some people respond to those figures about the rejection rates from PSLF application and say, well, most of those people just weren't eligible. 
And, you know, you can say, well, that's an individual problem, right? These people just should have followed the rules better or, or known what they should have done or known that they weren't eligible yet. But I tend to believe that if lots and lots and lots of people are making the same mistake, there's probably an issue with the system. And I think the system, you know, wasn't designed in a way to be user friendly. That's right. I mean, it, it, you mentioned student welfare, and I think that's the way you'd look at it. All of these programs are created first and foremost with the student in mind. So if nobody is qualifying, I think that's a pretty good signal that the system is pretty flawed. Did you happen to see, and maybe some people saw the, the piece on 60 Minutes just a few weeks ago that focused on PSLF and focused on members of the military? These are like JAG officers, like people who are lawyers, attorneys, high-ranking people at the department, all of whom were rejected for PSLF. Right. In fact, I, I didn't see it, but that evening I got many texts to my phone from my friends who did see it, who were very upset to hear what was happening. And I think it was maybe just a few days later when I invited you to come do the show. <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think it's good. I mean, it's, it's definitely drawn a lot of attention to the issue, but I'm glad that we're having this conversation today because I think it is helpful to sort out what are the real problems, what's driving this rather than, you know, imagine that there's some evil actor here that's trying to, to hurt people. Because <laughs> I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case. But let me ask you, Justin, you know, you represent financial aid officers who work with students more on the front end of their borrowing decisions. So while they're in school, you know, we all remember going to the financial aid office and being able to talk to our financial aid counselors and administrators about what to borrow and how to borrow and all that. So how does the existence of public service loan forgiveness affect the way that financial aid officers are counseling students? and how to think about affordability and borrowing. So you, you pose that correct. Most of the work of the financial aid office is done on the front end. That's it. That is, how can we help students afford higher education? But there are schools that are doing a, quite a bit of back-end work. Schools are held responsible for the numbers of students that default on their student loans. And while there aren't a lot of schools that are necessarily losing student financial aid, federal student aid eligibility because of default rates, Schools do actively manage their defaults, particularly open access schools that tend to have higher default rates. So it does happen on both ends. From a counseling standpoint, I think schools have found themselves in a bit of a quandary because on the one hand, you would want to tell people about the existence of this program, public service loan forgiveness. On the other, I think schools feel really reluctant to tell people or promise them that they would qualify for some benefit that's based on future behavior that might excuse excessive borrowing on the front end. And ultimately, because of, for whatever reasons, the complexity, the bureaucracy, mismanagement, whatever it is, ultimately might mean they don't even get the benefit. That only sows ill will towards the school, frankly. So I think schools have found themselves in a real quandary in how they tell borrowers about PSLF. And amongst our schools, we find it runs the gamut. So I seem to recall that there was an issue with Georgetown Law School very explicitly, and I, I don't expect you to speak on their behalf, but to very explicitly counseling students on how to use this program. And that was not well received. Am I right? Yeah. So the idea was that they were being accused of loading people up with debt or encouraging people to take on debt because it would ultimately be forgiven if they qualified for PSLF. I understand that viewpoint. I think and I'm not speaking on their behalf, but I think the other side of that coin is there is a benefit, there is a program, and aid administrators are in the business of telling people about their benefits and programs, not hiding them. And I guess I, 
I think this speaks to the the overall flaw of the program and some of the misdirection of some of these incentives. So if the idea is that we're going to forgive any accumulated debt for public servants over 10 years with no cap on what that would be, then why wouldn't schools or the federal government, for that matter, tell people about it? I don't understand why it would be a hidden benefit. But underlying that assumption then is that those schools are reaping the benefits because students are taking out large amounts of debt, paying their tuition, maybe paying for incidentals and cost of living, and then that's being paid off by the taxpayer on the back end. Yeah. I mean, I sort of love that example because you can't really blame Georgetown for doing exactly what they did, even if they were increasing the price as a result of this program existing, which I'm sure they would claim that they were not doing. But if people are taking advantage of the programs that the government lays out for them and we don't like the outcome, we should probably change the rules of the program so that when we get people to engage with them, they actually produce outcomes that we like. And one solution I like, I think Carlos Salerno suggested this one recently, was about rather than forgiving an unlimited sum of debt after a certain period of time, maybe PSLF could look something like an annual benefit of a fixed dollar amount. And I think that would get you away from potentially having these really distortive incentives for institutions. And maybe it would make the job of financial aid officers and universities easier because there'd be less perception of misbehavior if, in fact, a lot of their students did take advantage. I think the idea of a a sort of stepped forgiveness year after year makes a lot of sense. It's it's a cumulative benefit. Also, I think borrowers would be more plugged in to whether they're on track or off track if there was a financial incentive every single year. So I do think that's a better method and, and a possible solution to PSLF today. Like We could implement that today and start giving people forgiveness on an annual basis. Is that something that would require legislation, though, Justin? Well, who knows? Mm, That's right. (laughs) Good answer. That's always the answer now, isn't it? (laughs) Well, before the pandemic, I would have said absolutely yes. But what we've seen during the pandemic is that the president can rely on previous legislation under the HEROES Act to basically change all terms and conditions of all federal loans, or federal student loans, at least. The last 18 months, what will almost be two years of non-payment, is the largest borrower benefit program that has ever been run. And it was all done without Congress or largely done without Congress. President Trump did it before there was congressional authorization. Then Congress authorized it, then it expired, and then it was extended anyway. So what can and can't be done by the president during times of national emergency, I think is a very much an open legal question. So why couldn't the president say, under these extraordinary times, we're going to be making some programmatic changes? And to that end, they've already announced some changes they're going to be making to PSLF over the next 12 months. Yeah, tell us about that. So, you know, going into this administration, we were hearing about free college, huge student loan cancellation. And it seems like what's actually happening are some improvements around the edges on student loan repayment, one of them including this change to PSLF. So what's happened there and and how much is it going to help? Well, I think it's going to help, but there is one huge contingency. What they're offering is a public service loan forgiveness temporary waiver over the next 12 months, so through next October, whereby borrowers who found themselves in the wrong loan programs or in the wrong loan repayment plan are going to be able to consolidate. So proactively, they need to do something. They need to reach out to the department, seek the waiver, get into the right payment plan and program 
and basically have all of these payments behind them that didn't qualify count towards their loan forgiveness. So Justin, that sounds confusing even to me, who a supposed expert in this space, right? So let me just clarify. You're saying we talked about before how only certain repayment programs made you eligible for PSLF. So some borrowers who thought they were getting PSLF were chugging along, making payments in, the, in a certain repayment program and found out, oh, shoot, actually, this doesn't start qualifying me towards forgiveness. But that's the fix, right? That if they're in that situation, having made payments, having thought that they were working towards public service loan forgiveness, we have presented them some hoops that they can now jump through in order to get those payments to count. That's it. Yep. The legislation, the way this program was created, it was a very narrow tunnel that students had to go through in order to qualify for public service loan forgiveness. What they're basically saying is we're going to allow everybody to get into that tunnel and that tunnel will extend all the way into your past if you make this consolidation in the next 12 months and seek this waiver. And so some of those people, the department will automatically do this for, like if you're a federal employee or a member of the military. But for a lot of other folks, they are going to have to proactively do something in order to have all of their past payments count towards public service loan forgiveness. How well do you think that's going to work, Justin? Mm. <laughs> I'm concerned. I'll say, you know, I have to, to give the department credit in, in that I think it's better than what we've had. I mean, I, I think we'd appreciate any window, but some of this is just the program is flawed. The idea, the entire concept, I hope we can acknowledge at the other side of this. This concept is flawed. Loan forgiveness in terms of incentivizing borrower behavior or student behavior is flawed. And I'm going to go back to my two buckets here, need-based aid, self-help aid. If we just focus there, how much better would this have been if we could have just provided more grants to students or even grants to students in certain programs if that's what you wanted? If you wanted more medical professionals, then why not provide more grants to medical professionals? Why try to, like this idea that we're going to incentivize specific behavior a decade down the road, I just, this is not my area of expertise, Beth, you'd have to inform me, but it just seems like <laughs> a lost cause when you try to, to do behavioral economics in this way. Who is thinking 10 to 20 years down the road? It is crazy. I mean, there's so many places where you look at the way that policy is today. And you think, well, gosh, there's like a such a simpler solution that would, you know, very clearly work so much better. And, and actually, in this space, this drives me crazy all the time. I just wrote a piece about how I think we should get rid of public service loan forgiveness altogether and just pay people more. But actually, I, I found this conversation satisfying because your understanding of the political process that got us to where we are today at least makes me appreciate that there's a reason for it. And it's not just totally pulled out of thin air. And so <laughs> I'll sleep like a little bit better. Well, I, I'm glad anyway. I could contribute to you getting a little <laughs> bit more rest. I wish I could say that, that we could learn from this. And this might be some great postdoc work, which is what went wrong? What from concept all the way to implementation sort of went wrong here? And how can we apply this to future programs? Well, I'm going to blame it on the politics, Justin, because I think economists know how to do this, right? If you want to incentivize a behavior, you just throw some money at it, not through some tiny little tunnel that's 10 years long. But political incentives are still there for us to create programs in this way going forward, right? 
Yes, I agree with you. Now, here's a little bit of optimism. I'm going to sprinkle okay, on this, okay? That. And I don't know where you are on this on this topic, but I'm always pessimistic on everything. <laughs> okay, three to four years ago, the idea of universal basic income in the United States seemed like I don't know, like just totally unworkable, no support. Then you have Andrew Yang and this idea of like we're gonna let's provide some basic level of income to everybody. If we're going to build on that then maybe we can get at what you were describing, which is like, instead of playing all of these incentives and carrots and sticks with like student loan debt, maybe we could just subsidize income of people who are in public service jobs in some way. And maybe that's becoming a little bit more palatable with like the child tax credit and and this concept of universal basic income. But I think what I can say most assuredly is because of PSLF and other programs like Teach Grants is another example. And federal higher ed policy, which is great idea and concept. It speaks to people's hearts and minds, terrible on implementation, and actually it ends up hurting a lot more borrowers, at least to date, than it's helped. Yeah. Unfortunately, an all too common story here. Okay, Justin, I want to ask you one practical question to close out our conversation here. And, you know, we've been talking at a policy professional level here, but If you were talking to a young person who's going to college, imagining a potential future in public service, or maybe is in repayment on a loan and is aiming to get their loans forgiven, what's the practical advice? What do they need to know? Well, I am sort of facing this because I have a senior in high school right now who's applying to colleges. Oh, perfect. Right. I'm, I'm steeped in this, so steeped that I find myself completely befuddled by this college application process. (laughs) And what she ultimately might want to do. And I would tell her, and I've told other relatives the same thing, which is a modest amount of loan debt is reasonable. Understanding your earnings on the other side is reasonable. Understanding government benefit programs is reasonable. But what I think is unreasonable is, unfortunately, for most people who are juggling all these different things, asking them to navigate the intricacies of our bureaucratic processes is totally unreasonable. And so I think a lot of aid folks, and myself included, it would almost be like, unless I could be there to advise them step by step on exactly where they're supposed to place every foot along this pathway towards repayment and ultimate forgiveness. I would just say they would have to stay totally on top of it if they expect to receive the promised benefit from any down-the-road federal aid program. And I would have to tell them, like, it is a complicated process, and you will primarily have to be the one responsible to stay on top of it. And if, in fact, that may dissuade them, and maybe they just discount it if they're thinking conservatively about their own finances, but I would have to be real with them because otherwise I feel like these are promises that are ultimately unrealized. Yeah. So if we could be those perfect robots that exist only in economics textbooks, then we'd all make our way to forgiveness through PSLF. But we need to balance that with the fact that we're human and sometimes make mistakes. That's right. We're human. (laughs) All right, Justin, that's a great point to end on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Glad to be here. If you enjoyed the conversation and you want to learn more, please subscribe to the show and also check out my new book, It's called Making College Pay and is available right now on Amazon. Have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions for me? It would be great to hear from you. You could send me a note from my website, bethacres.com, and find me on Twitter at Dr. Beth Acres. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. 